A symptom is not just a symptom. It is an invitation into someone's story. Those words penned by today's guest might just have the potential to shift the treatment landscape for physical, emotional, and mental health in today's world. While science and technology continue to provide new windows into the human body, the treatment often involves going deeper into the story that is unique to each individual. Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst 360 Podcast, your trusted resource for the best in engaging evidence-based health, wellness, and performance insights. I'm your host, Dr. Brad Cooper of Catalyst Coaching 360, and today's guest is physical therapist, nationally board-certified health and wellness coach, and lifestyle medicine practitioner, Jen Enschel. In addition to her 30-plus years as a clinician, she is also an instructor, writer, private practice owner, program director, and mom of three busy kids. Speaking of busy, if you're an employer, EAP, or wellness company considering the integration of coaching, you've likely heard the news about Catalyst Coaching 360. As we began our 17th year as a leader in the world of health and wellness, we decided to take the natural next step in our genesis. Rather than mixing in with the crowd, offering, in quotes, all things health and wellness, we decided to focus in on what we think matters most. Best in class, personalized, board-certified coaching that can easily and affordably be integrated into your current platform, program, or benefits plan. If you're curious, we'd love to chat. Results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. That's results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Now it's time to tap into the story behind the diagnosis with Jen Uschult on the latest episode of the Catalyst 360 podcast. Jen, my friend, it's great to have you here. Let's get down to coaching. You were one of the first physical therapists to go through the Catalyst Coaching Institute and pursue the national board certification as a health and wellness coach. In addition to your your PT background, what was the genesis of that? Where did that come from? What what made you decide to go that route? I can tell you exactly how it went is I had recently moved from Indiana to Virginia and a client said to me, why don't you come home with me and you can just coach me through all of these things. And I was already integrating stuff beyond pure PT. And I said, well, you know, I really can't do that. I don't think my family would be too thrilled with that. (laughs) And then I saw an article by someone named Brad Cooper in the PT magazine that talked about integrating physical therapy and coaching. And I thought, this is the direction I need to go. And so that was the start of my coaching integration into PT. Well, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm glad to hear, because I wrote that column for 20 years, it was good to, it's good to know that at least one person read one of those columns. That's, that's encouraging. I, I yes, appreciate that. That's exactly <laughs> correct. <laughs> so we have a lot of it, and, and I'll broaden this discussion. Jen's a PT, I'm a PT. We have a lot of PTs go through our program, but this is really more talking through the clinician side for a few moments, and then we're going to get into some other topics. So for the clinician, I think a lot of us are trained to, well, we can already do that. So what were some of the surprises? Obviously, you knew you needed something else. But as you went through the training, as you prepared for the national board exam, were there things where you thought, oh, I I, I had no idea. I didn't know this approach or this process or those kinds of things. So much. I think that when I entered the world of coaching and actually every big career change, it is just a kind slap in the face of you just don't know what you don't know. Mm. And so, yes, I could have perceived myself as this holistic PT, helping them with sleep and things before. Then when you dive into the coaching content, 
you learn it's there's so much more depth to it. And then I think the biggest thing was motivational interviewing. Mm -hmm. So the book obviously by Miller and Rolnick, but the way you taught it, Brad, in my weekend intensive with Catalyst, it just was so illuminating to me. And it's also a journey that never ends. We're never going to be perfect at motivational interviewing. And I actually am trying to remove that word from my vocabulary because perfection doesn't exist. So I think just getting better at the things you have a little bit of exposure to so that you can find ways to appropriately integrate it or maybe learn enough from your client to know that you have to get someone else on the team, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and just a correction, when Jen says the way I taught motivational interviewing, she means the way the genius Susanna Cooper teaches motivational interviewing. So I don't get any credit You're for that. Correct. <laughs> You're right. You did. You did the personality thing. Exactly. I'm so sorry, Susanna. <laughs> yes, because I still am in awe of how she creates yeah, a conversation. She has a gift. Things. She definitely has a gift. Yes. And, yes, and for those of you who want to hear more about MI, we had Dr. Bill Miller, who Jen just mentioned, who created Motivational Interviewing. He was our special guest on episode 200. So if you want to look back at that, talk about a gift. It was so fun having him on there. So you you go through the certification, you get board certified. You're, you're still treating patients. We're going to talk about you've taken some different pathways more recently. But at the time, you're still treating patients. Did you see differences? You were still billing the same, using the same ICD-9 codes, scheduling yourself probably quite similarly in the same focused area of physical therapy. But did you see a change in your patients by having that extra tool in your toolbox? Yes, definitely. And I have to kind of combine my pain science training and my coaching training um, just because they go so hand in hand. And the shift becomes in when you have that client in front of you. And the best example that I use with clients all the time is say you have a headache and somebody's doctor says, drink water. If it's a dehydration headache, you're good to go. If you have that same headache, because we know so many things present in a similar manner, and it's really a sinus infection, then dehydration isn't going to really drinking water isn't the trick. So with the background in coaching and the ability to ask questions and connect and the skills of the wellness side, sleep and exercise and stress, that way we can narrow in more. Because if we're doing manual therapy and exercise on and on and on, when really they need a little help with sleep hygiene, then we're doing them a complete disservice and we're not going to help them make the progress they want. That's really good. And and you've said this, but I just want to clarify it for our listeners. When she's talking about sleep or any of these other components that maybe typically don't aren't a a focus of our, our treatment protocol, she's not talking about just information. It's not simply handing them a handout of saying, here is a list of sleep hygiene components. You're approaching it differently as a coach. You're, you're, digging into their life and how their schedule is arranged and how this makes sense for them, not how it works for Jen and they should imitate you, but as a coach, you're, you're doing it differently, aren't you? That's exactly right. And I had a client just a couple of weeks ago where he realized himself that watching a show too close to bed was interfering with his sleep. 
So it really doesn't matter what my TV schedule is or is not. We had to look at that for him. And the other fascinating thing he realized was if he wanted to watch his show and he went into the TV room and his wife was watching the news, he would get very agitated. And this was such a fun coaching moment. So I just got curious with him. And then he realized he created this entire reframe. He's like, if I walk into the room and she's watching the news, I can be happy for her that she's found the time to give herself a little bit back. Mm, Wow. That's huge progress. And I checked in with him this week and I said, how's that going? He's like, it's good. I can be happy when I go into that room. I thought that was amazing. (laughs) And think of the other things that influences even just his sleep. You're going in with a different mindset. Um, All right. So I I mentioned before, we have a huge number of physical therapists go through the coaching certification, but there's also nurses, counselors, occupational therapists, even physicians. You and I graduated from physical therapy school about the same time. I've I've got a couple of years on you, but really none of our peers at that time were going that route. It, It just wasn't a thing. Like you and I didn't hear about it. What do you think has changed in our profession or in healthcare as a whole that shifted that to the point where I would guess a third to a half of all of our graduates are in healthcare in some way now. What has created that shift? I think it is this extremism, to be honest. Mm. We have this extreme, I want what I want and I want it now. And then we have this extreme of, I need to do something different. And I think that as we are expanding our skill set as clinicians, we are now able to meet people more in the middle. And I hope if we're learning anything in healthcare in our world is that the extremes don't work. Mm -hmm. The reason the bell curve is so heavy in the middle is because that's where most of us lie, whether we're talking about academics or health or pain or whatever it is, we get so focused on the extremes. We got to come back to the middle and integrating coaching into any healthcare field allows us to help the client get to that middle point rather than live in the extremes. I love that. And as you were talking that through, I jotted down the words extremes versus uniqueness um, because the, you, you talk about, we, we generally are similar in this way. And yet as a coach, you tap into the uniqueness of, you mentioned that gentleman's TV schedule or his interaction with his wife around the news or other things. So it's, it's an interesting hand in hand shifting away from the extremes in our actions and shifting to the extremes or the uniqueness in the way that we're interacting with someone and not assuming that my workout schedule works for you or my eating plan works for you or my sleep schedule works for you. And instead pulling in your uniqueness to encompass those middle of the bell curve things. So we know sleep matters. Like that's not unique to me or you or any of our listeners, but the way in which you'll approach sleep and your sleep schedule and your sleep approach is very different potentially than the way I would. And so as a coach, it's like you're combining the best of both those worlds, moving away from the extreme and moving toward the unique. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I love that you bring that up because that is where coaching and pain science are so well blended because we have this 
basic set of tools. It's a big set of tools. But within that set of tools that we know is essential for everyone's health is the ability to fine tune it for that human in front of us at any given moment. Yes. And for the lifestyle medicine program, which we haven't talked about yet, we have an image of the four main gears for pain science, um, which are education, goals, sleep and exercise. And then we have the six lifestyle medicine gears, which are sleep, exercise, uh, nutrition, stress, avoiding risky substances and even social connection. And so within those, if someone's not ready to make movement in nutrition, are they ready to make a little bit of movement in drinking less alcohol? And then we can create a shift into the other gears and meet them when they're ready to make that change. Yes, I love that. You may remember the catalyst cornerstones that we've been talking about forever of move, fuel, rest, and connect. And those are, you mentioned all of those within the different six and four that you were talking through those, those are so, so important. And, and I love the fact that you're bringing those in. We'll, we'll definitely circle back to that. Um, you, you, I was reading, as I was preparing for this interview, I was listening to some of your previous interviews, read some of your articles. You start off an article that you wrote recently with some incredibly beautiful words. I'm going to just read them and I want you to expand upon it for us. A symptom is not just a symptom. It is an invitation into someone's story. Oh, Jen. So good. Build that out for us. Build that out for us. I truly believe that. And it goes along with your word recently of uniqueness. How many people do we see with back pain? How many people do we see with headaches? Every single story is unique and deserves to be attended in that manner. Uh, Robert Sapolsky, he has, he wrote the um, book, why zebras don't get ulcers, but he also has this 15 minute Ted talk, which I've incorporated into some of my teaching where he talks about this interaction right now, Brad, you and me is I have this image in my mind of everything, a beacon of experience going out behind you, every single thing that you've experienced millennia back. And then that zooms forward to this moment between you and I, that same beacon is behind me as well. So when someone comes to me with back pain, it's not just back pain. We have to allow them and make them feel safe so that they can share more with us so that we can be guided into how to best help them. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Uh, One of the central elements of both your coach certification and your lifestyle medicine training is MI. You, you talked about it. We talked about having Dr. Bill Miller on episode number 200, but it's worth a reset for our listeners. Can you describe MI in a basic context for us and why it's so valuable? And I'm going to expand this, expand upon this further, not just in a clinical setting, not just in a coaching setting, but a parenting, a marriage, a leadership, a friendship, a like on and on. Anytime we're interacting with other people, MI is an incredibly helpful tool. Can you walk us through why that is, some of the core elements of it and where you've seen it be helpful in those ways, not just as a clinician? Yes, MI might be mandatory learning <laughs> for all humans. <laughs> Start in kindergarten. <laughs> so it's the, uh, it, is, it is a coming alongside approach to a conversation. And we can influence others with our positive energy 
even if they're kind of in this negative point. And am I, in my opinion, is using our nonverbals and our verbals to connect with the other person, whether you are my partner, my business partner, a client, or even my child, we can use this approach to create safety, which then creates conversation, which then creates insight, which then creates change. And isn't that what we're trying to do? We're all trying to move change and connect for the better. Hashtag better than yesterday, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I, 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 any examples come to mind where you, you think, you know, if I would have approached things the, my old way, yeah, I just would have hit a wall. But because I integrated some MI, and, and feel free to pull from any of your your toolboxes of parenting or friendships or leadership roles or coaching, what, whatever you'd like. But do you remember a time or two that you, you kind of snuck that in? We, we, in our family, we call it Susanna's Jedi mind powers. And I, I think, I think it helped our kids turn out as amazing as they are, but anything in your life where you saw MI maybe in an unusual setting come to the forefront? Tons of examples. One that just happened and got reinforced this morning is I had a client last week and she came in and right out of her mouth, she's like, you have to help me decide if I'm going to have surgery or not. (laughs) My head is like, oh no, that is not my decision. So I was like, okay, fast gear switch. Let's go full on MI. (laughs) And so she's a very knowledgeable person and she's really motivated. So we just ended up having a conversation and I just was asking her questions. You know, what are your symptoms now? What are you hoping to change? And what are some of the behaviors now that are contributing to your symptoms? And how is that going to be different after your surgery? And she's one who struggles with just pushing too hard. And let's just take an example. She does an hour workout every day. And are you going to change that after surgery? Because even after that healing time, Your system's not going to do well if you keep, we refer to as boom and bust in the pain science world, your system's not going to keep doing well. I didn't tell her anything. I merely asked her questions. She comes in today and she's like, yeah, I canceled surgery. And I said, okay. And now we're moving on because now she's got a different pattern of how she wants to address her symptoms. So that was a pretty powerful experience of how MI can work well for the client, not me, for the client. Well, and and it's interesting, folks that heard that carefully, uh, it wasn't you giving an answer. That's that's the difference. It's coaching is not providing the answer. It's not looking up on Google. Well, let me see here. Let's see what AI tells us today. It's tapping into that individual's, as you described, very unique background, history, drivers, mental approach, et cetera. Uh, Any other fun ones that come to mind? My kids, I'm trying to think of a good example of my kids. They're such a good source of learning. Oh, yes. If you ever want to become a better person, just try to become a better parent. <laughs> Amen, so, sister. Um, well, so I recently started taking um, positive intelligence coaching with Shirzad Shamim. This is truly life-changing as well. And he talks about how positive thoughts are a self-fulfilling prophecy, which we kind of all know, but then he really boldly says negative thoughts are a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I am trying to reach my kids in a different manner. Even if I'm not, I want to be toxically positive, but I'm just trying to be a little bit maybe to the, to the right of neutral 
if they are further left of neutral in that, you know, grumpy, hard place. And so being very attentive to my nonverbals again and my words and guiding versus not telling them what to do. Nobody likes to be told what to do. My intention is that they soften and they come toward me. Does it always work? I don't know. Am I planting seeds? I am. And I just have to hope that some of them blossom into flowers and we'll deal with the rest as it comes. <laughs> you'll, you'll be surprised. So I annoyed our children their entire lives. Our kids are 28, 26, and 23 now. All married, uh, great kids, living productive lives, super fun. We get to be around them a lot. We love, love, love that. And I would kind of jokingly with the kids, whenever they'd say, I've got to do something growing up, you know, I've got to go to school, I've got to go to track practice, I've got to whatever, I'd say, you've got to? I mean, I get to, I get to. And they'd say it sarcastically, and I'd be like, yeah, way to go, you get to, you know, you, you, it's, a, it's an honor to be on the track team and go to school, whatever. And it's so funny, because our 28-year-old just started a new job, she, amazing young woman, and she's working really hard, and she's working some extra hours, and we were together over Christmas, and she mentioned, she said something about, yeah, and Thursday I've got to, and she paused, and she goes, I get to work this schedule. <laughs> I just gave her, a high, gave her a high five and a hug, and I just smiled. I was like, oh, sweetheart, that's awesome. Um, Can I build on that? Yeah, Absolutely. So I have created this silly thing called a gratitude book with a B where you can express your gratitude and then just watch it grow visually. And a support group that I'm in, a woman just pointed out one day, she's like, you know, I have a get to jar. And so it made me think, you know, there's some dark, hard days for people that are in pain, people that are struggling with any number of struggles that are real and on the forefront of people's mind. Gratitude might be a stretch. And I love the way she phrased it of get to, you know, I do. I get to have my fresh hot cup of coffee this morning. I get to, you know, listen to the news, whatever it is, versus it's just a simple word change, but get to might be more approachable on a dark day than gratitude. Yeah. So I love how we can, again, right. We're finding the middle instead of so many extremes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. One letter difference, all the difference in the world. We've talked about epigenetics with guests in the past, but it is such an intriguing area of research. Uh, I know you've studied it quite extensively. How would you explain epigenetics and and why does it matter so much to all of us, regardless of what our roles are in life or, or what our journey is like? It's so powerful and it's very hard to help people understand just how powerful it is. People get very, very stuck into their genetics or what their mother had or their yep. father had, yep. et cetera. And the reality is the genetics is really a small piece. Yep. And we have trillions and trillions and trillions of cells. And I just learned this at a conference. We actually have trillions more microbes and viral cells than we do neurons, which is just mind boggling. And the research is so very clear that we can alter whether these genes get expressed or not. So if you have a gene for a particular cancer, you have a gene for MS, Yes, you do. However, the jury's not out. You have the opportunity to make choices in your life. You get to 
choose sleep, choose nutrition, choose monitoring your stress and making a change where you can in order to alter the possibility and lessen the likelihood that that gene gets expressed. And that is powerful. And it's done through everyday accessible things. We all have access to sleep. We all have access to move our bodies. It doesn't take big, fancy machines. It doesn't take electric stim. It doesn't take fancy meds. It's stuff that's right in front of us every single day. That's how powerful epigenetics is. So let me emphasize a couple of things she mentioned, folks, and maybe we can circle around on this a little bit more. So first of all, she brought us back to those cornerstones, catalyst cornerstones, or some of the things that she's using in her other areas of move, fuel, rest, connect. Those simple steps or steps related to each of those components, they, they impact how our genes are expressed. So you have a gene for obesity, you have a gene for alcohol abuse, you have a gene for, you mentioned MS, you have a gene for uh, certain types of cancer. Now, let me clarify, this does not mean it's your fault if something happens. We have plenty of things that we don't have control over. Th- bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to healthy people who make great choices. So let's not confuse the issue here. But we can improve our odds, and that's our opportunity, in many, 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 if not, we can't say all, most of these by making those good choices that changes the way the gene's expressed. And I, do you remember off the top of your head the percentage of that? It seems to me like the gene had somewhere in the 15 to 30% impact and the, the choices w- impacted somewhere between 70 and 85%. But do you remember that? I'm, I'm just pulling that out of nowhere. I've seen different numbers anywhere from the 80s, even into the 90s. And the 90s one really struck me. Um, the other percentage that I love is 80% of lifestyle related diseases think cardiovascular disease, obesity, and even 40% of cancers, we can prevent, we can treat, and even many of these can be reversed just with lifestyle. Call it lifestyle medicine, call it your pillars of health, call it whatever you want, but it's it's out there. And also to your point of if you get cancer, if you get whatever it might be, It's not a blame game. I would actually like to remove the word blame from our society as well. And I think of um, maybe a pregnancy. Uh, I remember in PT school thinking, why does anybody get pregnant? Because all we did was learn about what could go wrong in a pregnancy. (laughs) So the reality is things happen. However, what are things in your life that you can take control of to create the best outcome? and Using intentions and this positivity, positive, self-fulfilling prophecy, I like something that Shirzad Shamin says. He says, do what you can to ensure a good outcome. Also know that if there's a different outcome, you're going to be okay. And I like that as perspective because it's hard. Going through some of these hard things and these health things, it's hard. And we can get through it. Well, and that leads nicely into the other one I wrote down, another article you wrote, um, you quote Hippocrates, you say, before you heal someone, ask them if they're willing to give up things that make them sick. I, I, I smiled as I was reading that, but, but that approach is key to your approach. 
How do you integrate that? And, and hopefully all of ours as coaches, how do you integrate that into your practice? I put it on them. And I just had someone the other day. I can't remember what she did, but she knew she was going to flare. Whatever the activity was, she knew she was going to flare. And I said, okay, so you, you made the choice. You knew you were going to flare. You also knew you weren't causing damage to your tissues. And you have the tools to bring that flare down more quickly than if you did nothing. And the answer was yes. So if you want to eat a Snickers for lunch every day for a week, you have that choice. If you are aware of the potential implications, okay, you can still make that choice. If you are aware of the implications and you know what you can do to lessen or reverse that impact, then you're totally in the driver's seat. And so I really like my clients to be taking ownership of their choices, but they can't take ownership of anything if they don't have education or understand it. I can't expect them to know how to deal with the flare of pain if they don't understand how pain works. I can't expect them to um, reduce their the impact of their stress if they don't understand how stress affects their system. And so it's this, this mix and why education is so important. And I think that's maybe slightly the challenge that I do have with coaching in the pure coaching sense we are not the expert. And I believe that I am not the expert. And at the same time, my client can't make good informed choices without being educated around all of these things. You know, we had uh, Dr. Adrian Lowe, which is one of the reasons that you and I connected again after many years, uh, several episodes ago, talking about pain. Um, anything from that, I know you listened to that interview, anything from that discussion or things that you've done with Adrian, I know you work closely with him, uh, that might be helpful to listeners who are going through a, a painful episode right now with whatever in terms of how to address that or function through that or what have you. I, I remember his comment, I'll, I'll never forget the rest of my life, is don't burn the popcorn. And that kind of ties into your, your talking about if you know you're going to flare it, Know, you know how to deal with it, et cetera. But his point was when you when you make microwave popcorn, which no one listening to this makes microwave popcorn, but we all know what we're talking about here. Uh, you, you you don't put it on for seven minutes because it'll end up horrible. It'll even if the package says seven minutes or five minutes, it burns it. So you put it on for two and then you check it and you flip it and then you go another two and then and that's how he said as you're coming back from an injury or a, a dysfunction or a post surgical or or whatever it might be, is you don't burn the popcorn. You can add quantity but not quantity and quality or a little bit of quantity and a little bit of quality, but not too much of each, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can you build on that for us a little bit more? That was a very popular episode. I was intrigued by it just because some things that I was going through at the time, any additional insights you'd like to add to that conversation? I would love to build on that for you. And I think if we're going to tease out one thing, um, the research is clear. People do need to understand pain and it's no different than anything else. And I tell my clients, if you and I were to switch positions right now and I had to go be a neurosurgeon or I had to go be a BMW engineer, whatever it is, I would struggle and it would be very stressful. And so without knowledge, we ramp up our nervous system. So just imagine for a moment, you experience pain, 
but you have no idea what it means. Your system is going to freak out and likely create a bigger pain experience. And there's so much to that, but to build exactly on the popcorn, because I do like that analogy and Adrian is famous for analogies. Another one yes, that I really is. like is around, I, I mentioned the boom and bust. So we know that we, if we have these weekend warrior types where they go, 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 and then they crash, they go, 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 and then they crash. The nervous system does not like that. And it actually can often become even more sensitized. The opposite extreme we have is the avoiders. So the people are like, oh, no, 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 no. I feel pain. I'm done. I'm out. So oddly enough, the nervous system can actually get more sensitized in that manner as well, Mm. because you keep stopping and the brain's like, oh, we let her know at five miles. She stopped. We're going to let her know at four and a half miles. And then pretty soon you're barely walking. And so we talk about this mix of pacing their activities and graded exposure. So my favorite pacing um, metaphor is, okay, Brad, do you remember any of your children that maybe gave you grief to brush their teeth every night? Our children never gave me grief. I don't know what you're talking about, Jen. Okay. Well, could you make up somebody you know? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I I wouldn't say brushing teeth. Let's say, how about about doing dishes? That was a, a little bit of a battle in our house. So kids. Which one? They all had their turn. So I'll I mentioned Ashley earlier, so I'll pick on Danielle now. Come on, Danielle. Okay, so Danielle. All right. And this is cool. I've never had to adapt the metaphor on the fly. So thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) all right. So Danielle is supposed to do the dishes every night after dinner. Maybe she's supposed to do them after lunch too. Let's say lunch and dinner. And she comes to you one day and she says, Dad, you want me to do the dishes every day after lunch and dinner? And you say... Well, I'm thinking of my choice of Danielle. She's so organized. She'd have a system that would get them done automated. But let's just say I would say, um, yes, honey, it's important that before you go to bed at night, they, they need to be they need to be clean. They need to be in the dishwasher. OK, well, Dad, let's do it this way. On Sunday, before I go to bed, I'm going to do all of the dishes from the previous week, all of the lunch dishes, all of the dinner dishes on Sunday night before I go to bed. How's that going to work? And we're going to have to eat off dirty dishes. If you're doing that, we don't have enough dishes. <laughs> so this introduces pacing. We need to be doing bits and pieces. So as we use the dishes, we need to find a way to get them clean again so we can use them again. We don't want to do all of the dishes all at once. And in the case of the dishes, now we don't have clean dishes. We can't cook. We have this big pile in the room. Like, who knows? Maybe it smells. Maybe you're getting ants. So there's all of these factors when we just hold off and then put too much in too soon. So that's a little bit what happens when we go and run, you know, 10 miles when we haven't run it all in six months. And so helping people see, yes, I can be successful with a mile and then a mile and a half and then build from there. That's very similar to the popcorn. And I literally had a client just eight or 10 years ago and she wanted to do remember the eighties, the sideline abduction. So she wanted to do that. Long socks. I was like, okay, what? Long socks. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So she wanted to do those. And I was like, well, how am I going to do? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, can you do five? No. Can you do one? She looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, of course I can do one. I said, okay, start with one. So she started with one. A couple months later, she's doing 30, which is what her goal was. So 
it's okay. Walking for one minute, if that's what your body's ready for, that is okay. And it's helping people realize this is how they'll build and move forward rather than continuing that boom bust cycle. Love that. One of the, we just had our episode uh, in early January on the, the creating a vision. And one of the ones for me this year was a 500 day plan. And it ties into exactly what you're talking about. Cause I tend to have a five minute plan, like, okay, I want to do this and I want to do it by tomorrow at the very latest. And the 500 day plan is what you're describing. It's saying the, if this goal is important enough, it's important enough to pursue over a 500 day period, not just a 24 hour period, not just a one week period. So that that's great perspective. And you did well on that transition on the fly there. Nice job. Whew. Yeah. I've only used Nailed the teeth it. brushing. So now I've got another one. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> All right. Just a couple more. Speaking of pr- your practice, many of our listeners probably curious about how clinicians like physical therapists and others actually pull coaching into the actual PT part, the actual nursing part, the actual physician part, counselor part. Do you have a couple of examples of times where as a PT, you pulled coaching out of your toolbox and your PT results, so this isn't a sideline right now, this isn't another path, but your PT results were improved as a result? So adding coaching, improving PT results? Correct. That's easy because the clients are the drivers. They come in, we recap their week, what's going on, what's going well, what's not. And then the question is, what's important to accomplish today? And sometimes, most of the time, they surprise me because I may have an idea in my mind based on their subjective responses of where we might head. And when I put it out to them, then they often come up with something different. So Mm. them driving the session to what's important for them and their immediate and long-term goals makes me a better physical therapist. All right. Let's, let's tie a ribbon on it with this. Um, You have so much in terms of background experience, training, you've done such a good job of bringing elements in from here and here and here into your, your daily practice and the, the, the professional pursuits that you're, you're going after kind of some final words of wisdom for people about things you've learned as you've pulled lifestyle medicine, PT, coaching, uh, the positive psychology side, any of those things that maybe get missed out there that people aren't aware of that you've seen have a big impact. Just kind of a, a, a wide open canvas, write what you'd like. And maybe we'll have a couple follow-up questions on this. This could be kind of fun. I think it really comes down to creating a relationship of trust and safety, whether it's your client or a family member or a friend. And I'm seeing so much crossover with some of these lifestyle medicine and pain science and even in the positive intelligence into other fields. And I've just been having an interesting conversation with a financial is he an investor? And it's very interesting that these relationship things matter. The ability to connect, no matter what your background or profession is, matters. So most of your group is health, health care practitioners. 
we need to really focus on our relationship skills, our ability to tune into both the verbals and the nonverbals. I've actually studied a little bit with a body language coach. That is its own fascinating topic. And this then allows us to reflect and connect and to reflect and build to take some motivational interviewing ideas. My background in PT, it's very important and present, but it does me no good if I cannot relate to that person in front mm, of me. Mm. If I don't know how to have a conversation and get to what's important to them, none of my other tools matter. Love that. That's a great way to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us. It's so good to see you. Good to see you too. It is on my plan to get to that retreat one of these years. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, All thanks right. so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the number one podcast for health and wellness coaching. As you heard, we met Jen when she went through the Catalyst Coaching Certification process almost a decade ago. It's been fun watching her expanding her career and making such a significant contribution to the world since that time. If you're looking to pursue your MBHWC approved coach certification, you know where to find us. Results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. That's results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. We're happy to set up a time to answer your specific questions. Or we've also put together a few short videos that might be helpful over at YouTube.com slash coaching channel, including one that helps you easily narrow down your choices from the, it's crazy to say this, but the 100 plus programs nationally to maybe the top two or three that are best for you in your specific situation. And of course, while we'd love to have you join the Catalyst community, we're not the best option for everyone. So that brief video provides an easy way to narrow the field down to what is best for you. And now it's time to be a Catalyst. This is Dr. Brad Cooper of Catalyst Coaching 360. Make it a great rest of your week. And I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst 360 podcast, or maybe over on the YouTube coaching channel.